Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm a member of staff. I just want to add my voice of welcome to Jane's and others who've been standing here. If it's your first time with us this morning, it's excellent to have you with us. If you're back after a while away, good to see you. Um, don't be alarmed if you see people with blue badges um, approaching you after the service. That's the welcome team. And uh, they would love to say g'day to you if you want to say g'day to them. Also, belonging, which Ian just mentioned, um, you might be here for the first time today and you would like to find out more about this church, what we're on about, and connect a little bit with the staff here from Ian. You are welcome to join us. Um, booking not required. If you've just rocked up today and you'd like to stay, it'd be fantastic to have you with us. Um, we're carrying on in our series um, today on covenant. And what we've seen is that covenant is more than a promise that God makes. It is an agreement that he binds himself to for the sake of the earth that he's made and the people who are the pinnacle of his creation that he has made um, to be under his rule, but over everything. And what we're doing in this series is following the course of God's covenants because he, he reinforces and renews his covenant throughout history basically ensuring that there is going to be a relationship again between him and humanity, the relationship that he created but was broken by the rebellion of people against his rule right in those first days. And so that's what this series is all about, God's ability to make covenant and keep covenant. And that's the title of my talk today, Covenant Made, Covenant Kept. Because his ability to make covenant and keep covenant changes the way that we live. And <clears throat> this is what I mean. Because he keeps his promise that his word rules and orders his world, blessing people who live his way, we order our lives to let him rule by taking him at his word, even in the worst of moments. And I came across an example of that recently. Some of you might remember shortly after the Ukraine war started last year, we had the privilege of connecting with a couple of Operation Mobilization missionaries who are working in Ukraine. And I just read this update in um, a magazine that Operation Mobilization sent me in the last week or so. It's written by Shane Paxer, one of the Aussies serving in the Ukraine. This is what he writes. What a year it's been. For us here in Ukraine, it's been a roller coaster ride of emotions and crazy situations. Amidst it all, there was God's provision and protection and an amazing journey of discovering just how deep and wide his love, mercy and grace are. I've seen many people turn to God in their time of need and distress. I've seen grown men weeping to the sound of bombs and explosions while young children laugh and play, seemingly oblivious, oblivious that they're playing on playgrounds blackened and damaged by missiles. 2022 saw me travel more than 35,000 kilometres, transporting people to safety, evacuating people from the front lines, rebuilding homes and delivering food and goods to those who wouldn't or couldn't flee. Our church shone brighter than ever and became a beacon of light in our town with a steady flow of refugees, some staying a night, while others have stayed the entire length of the war. We've seen such an abundance of fruit in the changed lives and hearts of many with whom we share. Looking back, I remember less the dark times and more the times of joy. It was pure joy to share the peace that God offers those who trust in him, that during the darkest moments of the war, there is an inner peace, unshakable, which is available to all of us. God's promises are what keeps us going. They are the fuel that drives us, 
the bread that sustains us, and the light that keeps the darkness away. And he quotes Psalm 119, verse 50, which says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. Never has this been truer for me personally. Um, hallelujah, because I think that's the answer for some of the prayers that uh, we've been praying, actually, for Shane and others there in Ukraine. But what he's understood is this. Because God keeps his promise, that his, that his word actually does rule and order his world and blesses people to live his way, Shane and others like him and those of us who are trusting the Lord Jesus, we order our lives to let him rule by taking him at his word in the good moments and in the bad moments because we know this, that the covenant-making God has worked through his covenant mediator, the Lord Jesus, to create a covenant people of which we're now part for a covenant needy world. And that's what we're seeing today as God works through Moses and creates his redeemed people to be priests and a holy nation to worship him but bless the world. How good is that? <laughs> let's pray and ask for God's help. It's a spiritual thing we're doing here this morning, so we do need his help and let me pray for us now. Please join me. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to you now. Help us to see that you have spoken and spoken and spoken again and promised and promised and promised and made covenant that you would bring people back to yourself. Help us to see that that's what you're doing in Moses and Israel gathered at Sinai, but help us to see, Lord God, that you've fulfilled that now in Jesus and we can reconnect with you because of him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first point is covenant God. And we just need to set a bit of context for understanding the fullness of what we're about to look at in Exodus chapter 19. And to understand that, if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to open it up to Exodus chapter 5. Um, and so even just kind of physically, you can see just right at the start of the Bible, okay, and right at the start of God getting his covenant going so that people can actually be back in relationship with him. And this is what we hear in Exodus chapter 5, 22. And I'm going to read through from Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, to chapter 6, verse 8. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Bit of a moment of honesty. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. And you might see in your Bible that Lord is written in capitals and it's the word that represents Yahweh or I am. That is, God is saying, I have no beginning and I have no end. I am the force and the power and the, the, the creator, the exister that lies behind everything. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. And that's what we looked at last week in Ian's preaching. 
Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you, purchase you back, buy you back with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And here's what's important for us as we make the link to Exodus 19. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So in his saving judgment, what's about to happen, he's demonstrating who he is, but he's got in mind this future moment when it's all going to become clear to them who he is. So he's saying basically, I am and I will. Okay, there's the context. So go to Exodus 19 now, which is our passage for today. And let's read from verse 1. Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt." And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You have seen what I did. What what have they seen? They've seen the plagues that God sent through Moses on the Egyptians to try and convince Pharaoh, mate, you better listen to me because I'm the God who is stronger than your gods. But there was a bit of spiritual competition kind of going on between the gods of Egypt and the Lord at that point. Then there was a plague of darkness. And then the Passover. So the angel of the Lord actually entering Egypt, having prepared anyone who would listen to him, that with the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, the angel of the Lord would pass over. But if you did not have that blood in your place, the angel of the Lord would strike the firstborn child of every home. And that was the, fight, that was the last straw. And Pharaoh said, get out. And so in that whole experience... God has revealed himself as the Lord, I am. He said, I will. And now at this point, they can look back and he can say, I did. (laughs) I am, I will, I did, and you saw it. (laughs) So these people are eyewitnesses. It's very, very significant what he has done and what he has brought them to at this point. And we'll see, we'll see why in just a moment. But just to stop here for a moment and think about maybe just a couple of points of reflection and application, at least for them and as we think about it for us as well. The identity and the nature of the Lord is very, very clear in their experience. So the question for them would be, and the question for the Egyptians would be, what have any alternative gods done for you lately? Well, the Egyptian reply would be, not enough. (laughs) And Israel's reply would be, if they're really thinking seriously about it, we don't need any other gods. (laughs) But this has actually happened in their experience, and they understand who the Lord is now. But the second kind of point of application is, just to be really, really clear, this is preparatory. 
It's getting them ready for the next step that God wants them to take, which is why he has them gathered there. But before we think about covenant people, I want to draw your attention to covenant mediator. Now, the definition of a mediator is this, a person who attempts to make people involved in conflict come to agreement. Um, In some senses, you could think about God and people being in conflict. But Moses is not necessarily the guy who's trying to mediate and say, well, I think think you you should talk a little bit more and let me facilitate that. He's kind of the the meat in the sandwich, if I can say. It's a bit of a Moses sandwich like we're about to see. And whether he likes it or not, he's been called into this position to be the one who does stand between God and people, between people and God. But why is it important to notice this? Why Why do I want you to notice it? Well, here's why. What we're kind of seeing from the beginning of God creating the world and then saving the world through Noah in that judging moment and then raising up Abraham is that it's God's pattern consistently to raise up someone who will be that mediator. God is acting in a clear way. Adam and Eve to the world. Noah and his family to the world. Abraham and Sarah in a miraculous way, according to God's promise and his own blessing, to the nations. And then here comes Moses. God is consistent. He is working a pattern for the good of people. Moses is no random. He's a guy who's descended from one of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, 12 sons. And out of their sons come the tribes of Israel. Moses is the son from Levi, one of those sons of Jacob. He is about to be the mediator in the midst of Israel who've multiplied exactly according to God's promise. Because God said to Abraham, look up into the stars of the sky, count them if you can. That's how numerous your descendants will be. But there's a time coming when they will be so numerous and they're going to be in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. They will be slaves. That's exactly what's happened. And Moses finds himself in the midst of that moment. And he's the guy. Verse 3, then Moses went up and God says to him, this is what you are to say to them. Verse 7, Moses speaks to the people. Verse 9, the Lord speaks to Moses and Moses speaks to the people. And then in verse 12, God says, don't let the people approach. But Moses, you keep coming up. Then chapter 20, verse 19, the people say, don't let God come down. Moses, you go up. So whether he likes it or not... Moses keeps finding himself in this position. He is the mediator between God and the people. And if you like, he is the priest that God has selected to be the one who serves God and serves the people. Um, In our life group this week, we had a good discussion about this moment, especially the case that Moses was standing in between God and about a million people, okay? Because by this point, the Israelites had multiplied and I thought of this image, a prize for telling me what this was. Yep, Ian, you heard it at 8 a.m. No prizes for you. A Metallica concert in Moscow in 1991, and the crowd was estimated about 1.5 million. Okay? And, yeah, 
watch the, you know, watch the video of this. It's just an amazing, amazing moment in history, rock history as well. Um, but what we thought about on Monday night was this moment with Moses is like a concert of this type. And if you can imagine God through Moses to the crowd that is not there, but they're, they're still outside um, the concert ground because they do not want to come close. <laughs> they're hearing the rumbling and they're hearing the roar and the smoke and the fire and they are quaking. <laughs> but what God is saying and what they're also saying is it's only going to be safe if we stay at a distance, but Moses is the guy who's going to be the conduit. He is in the middle. And why is this significant? I'll just kind of say this now and we'll, we'll see it in Hebrews 12 in a little while. Because Moses foreshadows Jesus. Moses is, the, Moses is the guy standing in between God and the people like Jesus will stand for eternity. Jesus has done it. The thing that Moses was really just trying to hold together, which he did, but it wasn't easy. And he is the one who leads the people into God's promise and eventually he will point them to the promised land. So covenant mediator. And now covenant people. Let's have a look again at Exodus chapter 19. And I'm going to read verses 4, 5 and 6. Exodus chapter 19 from verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. They're redeemed for a purpose. They're saved for a purpose. They're brought out of Egypt for a purpose, to keep God's covenant. He, could, he says quite... Simply to them, you will be this if you obey. Um, it reminds me of a conversation I, I once had um, when we were in Italy as missionaries, just with the father of um, another child at the preschool my kids were going to. And this guy said, ah, I've got this question that always stumps the priests. And he was quite happy about that. And, I, and he was lining me up to stump me too. And he said, why is it that if God's the God of the universe and every single person why does he choose just one people? Why is it just the Jews? Yeah, okay, not a bad question, but really it misses the point. It absolutely misunderstands what the Bible says and it misunderstands what's going on in this moment. Because what God is doing by choosing a single group of people is to use them to reach all people. And that's actually why we're sitting here today from different tribes and tongues and nations. Because what God is working through one and then this people is intended for all of us. But it's still important to note just the beauty and the depth of what God is saying to Israel at this point. You will be for me in your obedience a treasured possession out of all the nations in the whole earth. Wow. So... I just wanted to pause and reflect for a moment on what's being said there. What does God treasure out of the whole universe? Is it some beautiful secluded waterfall in some place or some massive mountain somewhere or some beautiful lake that you can look over and you could just take one photo and that would be on, the, on posters with scripture forever? No, he says, guess what? 
in everything that I've created, the most beautiful thing is you, my redeemed people. Wow. That he would say that about people is awesome, isn't it? But I think there's, there's a, a corollary that kind of goes with that. What would covenant people treasure? They're redeeming covenant God. And so, so what we see in this moment is inside the mind of God and the heart of God is that he treasures the people he's saving. But what that means for those people is that the most precious thing that they have is the God who saves. So good. But they're saved for a purpose, not only to know this deep relationship and have this deep relationship, but to be for God a kingdom of priests, a holy or set-apart nation. As Moses was the mediator between God and the people, the people are going to be the mediators to the world in two ways. First of all, vertically, in obedient worship. They would simply do what, they, do what God says because his way is the way. But secondly, in distinct witness. Because as, as they obey his word, it's going to be evident that they are his. So when people look on to their obedience... They will understand the God who is directing them. So they're not saved to be never seen again. They're not saved to be so far out of sight that no one actually knows that they are there. No. Certainly saved to be distinct, but saved to serve and to show the judging, saving God to the world. To show that the Lord alone is powerful, that the Lord does want relationship and show people how to have it. Do what he says as you trust his mediator. So how important is this moment? I reckon it's of supreme importance. Here's why. He's made the promise to Abraham. It's been fulfilled to Isaac, been fulfilled to Jacob. Jacob has multiplied. They've been in Egypt just as God said. God, through his word and through his servant Moses, has rescued them out of Egypt. He's brought them now to this moment. He said, three days prepare yourselves. It's so important that you need to abstain from sex so you can concentrate. You have to get ready. Now, here they are in front of this quaking, shaking mountain. Why? So they actually get it. I am the Lord. You are my saved people. Now obey me. Now obey me. Not because your obedience is actually going to save you, but because I've saved you and your obedience will show that you are my people. The work has been done. Respond. Keep covenant. Be priests. Worship and witness. And we see what that looks like in chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, which is where we hear of the Ten Commandments. Let me just read to you the first two verses. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Grace, grace. They have God's riches at his own expense, setting this up, making it possible, and then obedience that's called for. So first of all, he says, what does that obedience look like? Well, it's vertical in the first instance. Don't replace me. Don't find any kind of little substitute or something that seems to be powerful and pretend that that's better than me. Don't replace me. Speak rightly of me. Use my name rightly. Live patterns on my pattern. That's the vertical. 
But then he says, there is a horizontal way of doing this obedience and worshipping me. Let your parents be your parents. Don't play God over others, especially not in that extreme moment of taking their life. Keep sex in your own marriage. Keep your hands on your own stuff. Tell the truth. And keep even your mind free from wanting other things and other people. Because as you do this, you will actually glorify me in obedience. Because as you do this, you'll be saying that I am God and you are not. (laughs) His way is the way. And as you do this, you'll witness to a world that needs him. A covenant needy world. And this is my next point. What is this world like that they need to live this way and, and, and show it out? What does it mean to be priests of God to the world? Well, I'm just doing the work of the opposites of what we see in the Ten Commandments, okay? Just to find out what that world was like. It's a world that doesn't know his grace. It's a world that represses him with lesser powers. It just keeps lying about God by saying all these other things are better than him and bigger than him and stronger than him. It speaks badly of his name. It lives on its own terms. And it makes ourselves gods or other things God over him. But it's a world where there is out of order relationships horizontally. Parents aren't parents and they're not allowed to be parents. It's a world that plays God murderously over others. It's a world that lets sex happen in any context it likes. It's a world that steals. It's a world where people lie against even their closest neighbours. It's a world that is so full in its head of wanting to have what its neighbour has. I'm sorry if some of those things are familiar to you. Because that's the world that we live in. And the Lord in redeeming his people is saying, no, no, I want you to be priests to this world that needs me. A world that does not glorify me in obedient worship and a world that carries on in a way that's not even good for itself. (laughs) Those things are awful, aren't they? And, And some of us, like internally, we can be nodding when we're hearing that list thinking, yeah, I've experienced some of that rubbish. I might have even been responsible for some of it and I'm ashamed of that. And the worst thing is that People are under judgment, as Egypt was, going about life, not acknowledging the Lord, and ruining relationships. And Israel's place is to be God's covenant people in this covenant-needy world. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave you and me? Well, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never been to Mount Sinai. I wasn't there when all this went down. But how do I become part of this? Well, I, I said it previously We are people who really know the God who made covenant and kept covenant because he's fulfilled it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do in conclusion is look at two different passages and think about the application. Hebrews chapter 12, 18 to 24, and then the passage that we had read for us earlier, 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 to 12. And so what you can see here, even just kind of physically, is that where we started um, right at the start, way back here, We're kind of towards the end of um, the story as it's been recorded for us. 
in God's fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm reading from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, from verse 18. And you'll see the connection pretty quickly, I think. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the final Moses. He's the fulfilment of that mediator. His blood that's kind of being referred to here just really, really quickly is the blood that he's shed in his death on the cross in our place. So life being demanded for sin, that rebellion against God, but Jesus' life taken so he can give us his life with God. It's perfect. It's all done. It's so good. The new covenant. And we are part of that by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. Christ for us, between us and God. So why do we bother then? Although this is actually why we bother thinking about covenant and thinking about the application, the implications. Here's why. And I'm just kind of stealing this from Peter Jensen from his book, At the Heart of the Universe. Our knowledge of God's purposes shapes the way of life we adopt. Our goals, our values and our behaviour will conform to the goal which we know God has and submit to him when we know he has power to achieve his goal. The power to make a promise and keep it. The power to make a covenant and keep covenant. That's why we're here. (laughs) Because if this book contained promises that were never fulfilled, we absolutely should throw it away. Um, it, It would be better if I was trying to promote the Church of Andrew Lubbock and trying to throw out some things that might be half trustworthy that you could believe than believe something that was a lie. But because what has been promised and has been recorded has actually come true, there's the reason to believe. And that's why we actually want to do this series, because we just keep seeing time and time and time again, God makes covenant and he keeps it. And so where does that leave us? What do we do now? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 to 12. As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, now this is you if you trust in the Lord Jesus, listen to what you are. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Does that remind you of something? Exodus 19. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not on your own. He's done it. We join with him and we follow his obedience. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. 
They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, and here is the application, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you, as a follower of the Lord Jesus, this is you, part of this priesthood that worships God in obedience, following the Lord Jesus and trusting him and witnessing out to the world so the world can know this. And obviously, here's the question, how do you do that? Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires. So instead of following my own desire to rule myself, I keep checking back in with God through his word regarding what he desires. And I try and get rid of those sinful desires which wage war against my soul, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this future ministry is looking forward to the day that Jesus actually comes back and we will be shown for what we are and God will be praised. But how to do it? So I've got, I've got two things for us to reflect on, two, two kind of big ideas. First of all, an identity check. What do I mean? Do you believe that in Christ you are God's treasured possession? I heard the testimony of a woman yesterday, um, perhaps maybe five to ten years younger than me, and she has spent a lifetime being bagged out by her family. Even in a most recent experience, it was a very sad death in the family, just even in that context, being hammered by her family. Now, I know what happens inside people's brains when they're subjected to that, the story that they've got going around in their heads and their own self-identity is what their family have been telling them for years. But what we hear here is that in Christ, you are God's treasured possession. In Christ, what God began in Israel and clarified at the base of Mount Sinai, we are now. So here's the question. In Christ, do you understand, do you really believe that you are God's treasured possession? Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you and what is now yours by trusting in him. Because it changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> My nature, who I am, does not depend on me, but it depends on the Lord Jesus. And God thinks I'm terrific because of Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Another identity check. Are you convinced that your best life now and your best life in the future actually is in Jesus and following him? So, so you, you need to ask yourself, well, if, if I weigh things in the balance, if I'm considering the Lord Jesus, and if I'm considering everything else that kind of has a bit of a, a, bit of a tag into me, other voices, other advice, whatever it might be, the good life is, and you, you, just, you fill in the blank, I don't know what it is for you, or what it is that you thought it was. Where, where do these things sit? Because uh, there's no point in talking about the activity, and that's what I'm going to uh, talk about in just a moment. There's no talk, think, point in thinking about what we should be doing if the identity is not right in Christ. Because otherwise you'll just be on about something to earn points, not as a thankful response. So remember at Mount Sinai, no, you are my saved people. 
keep covenant and show that saved peopleness by being obedient. Not, here I am and you need to be obedient to achieve connection with me. No, no, no. It's all of grace. So, but who are you? Who are you in Christ? Are you? So that just needs to be evaluated. So then the activity check. Um, which God is actually leading you? And I get that's a bit of a tag, I guess, into the first thing. Which God is actually leading you? So which are the voices that you hear? But more importantly and more easily, just look at all the things that you're kind of doing in your life and what does that actually reflect about what you believe? Because that's where the proof of the pudding is. There, it's right there. And maybe a way of checking that is what's, what's in your mind, what comes out of your mouth, and then how does it show in your life? Because out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of the mind, the mouth speaks. So I've, I've shared this with you before. Um, in my experience as a funeral director's assistant, one of the members of our team was the biggest blasphemer I've ever come across, right? She was an expert. Um, and she didn't even know that she was using Jesus' name and God's name uh, ra- wrongly and badly, but it was really getting to me. And so I thought, what can I do? What can I do? Because not only is it getting to me, but I want her to know what she's kind of doing. And so every time she would say, uh, she would use God's name or Jesus' name, I would just say, Amen or Hallelujah. Um, and so, like, in the space of one or two minutes, there were a lot of Amens and Hallelujahs going on. And she looked at me eventually saying, What are you doing? And I'm saying, well, What are you doing? Um, do you realize what you're doing? But it's just a very easy way of checking in on ourselves. What's coming out of our mouths? Um, I don't know about you, so I know that there's, there's some rubbish that comes out of my mouth and that it shouldn't, but it reflects what's going on in my heart. Um, but our lives will actually reflect what's in our minds and our hearts because we actually live it out. And so it's worth doing a personal audit at that point. Is it the love of God that drives you to obedience? But lastly... Do you realise that not only are you a treasure possession of the church, a treasure possession of Christ, but so is everyone else sitting here who trusts Jesus as well? So, a very easy way for us to be on about the business of being the saved people of God is pressing in to love each other. Because you are loved and I am loved. I am God's treasure possession, so are you. And so, the call on my life actually is to, is to care for you and love you and keep turning up and getting to know you, and being open, and being gracious. And that is partly what we're trying to practice here this morning. (laughs) So keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep coming. Attend Life Group. It's a better way, actually, of getting to know each other, because it's a smaller group of people, and you can actually do that business of caring for and loving each other in that context. It's just so, it's so important. And that is who we are. Ian mentioned this last week, but uh, a couple of weeks ago we went to the Reach Australia conference and there were some really excellent Bible studies on Colossians. And something that really struck me um, in the course of those Bible studies was that the church is where it's at for God in this world. Um, The business of reconciliation is going on here and the business of showing his love out to the world is through us. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. Really? With this motley crew? This can be it. Well, I speak for myself, right? Can it really be me? In God's purposes, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, have I got a, a bigger and bigger sense of that over time? I pray that I do. But can that actually show itself out in me pressing into you and caring for you and loving you and realising who you are because of Jesus <laughs> and loving you because you are the treasured possession of God in Christ and that that's what would be motivating me? 
to press into you, and I pray that it might be motivating you to press into me, as hard as that might be. <laughs> let's pray that that would be the case. Please join me, and let's pray. Father, we're just so great, grateful to you um, that you are the God who makes covenant and keeps covenant. Thanks, Lord, that you have been doing this since the beginning of time, and you brought it to its fullness in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that he is now the mediator between you and us, um, calling us and making it possible to be your new covenant people so we can be in full connection with you and not be blown away. Please grow us in that, we ask. Um, we do ask, Father, you change our minds and our hearts to understand ourselves in Christ and you change our loves so that we love what you love and we love each other because that's what you love. You're redeemed people. And we ask for your help, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.